as you guys come to this Good Friday service, if you could, quiet yourselves, settle your hearts. I have a story that I want to tell that is worthy of your reverence and attention. It won't take too long, but if you can, if you can hear it, I mean really hear it, it will change your life as it did mine. Not all the timeline will be 100% correct, but the facts are there. They are true, and they are real. My name is Cornelius. I'm a Roman centurion. I'm the one from Acts chapter 10. Peter came to my house and baptized my family. That's not the story I want to tell here. I'm almost so famous for some soldiering I did in Italy, but I don't want to tell that story either. You see, I served in and around Israel for a long time. I've been in Jerusalem during Passover. I've seen how the Jews are different from any other people group that Rome had conquered. They have one God who they say is above all other gods. Most countries just have gods for this, gods for that. But the Jews, they only have one God. And this one God is supposed to send his son, born of a virgin, down to earth to heal and set free his people. You can read about this Messiah in the Jewish scriptures, or you might know as the Old Testaments. There are many prophecies about who the Messiah is. I didn't know them in the time that I served, but now I can see them. I can see that they were talking about Jesus. This is what I want to talk about, or I should say who I want to talk about. The week that Jesus was put on the cross and crucified was one of the craziest weeks of my life. His death was one of my darkest days. I didn't see everything firsthand, but I got reports of everything that was going on in and around Jerusalem as I was busy dispatching soldiers to settle things down in the city. I was stationed in the city during Passover and was charged to help keep the peace in what everyone knew was a huge time of worship for the Jews. The city of Jerusalem was running over with people. The streets were crowded. The vendors were busier than ever. The temple was packed. Prayers were being offered. Sacrifices made. Children being dedicated and other things I didn't understand about at the time. One thing, though, that was in everyone's lips was Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Is he the one? Could this be? Is he the Messiah? I didn't understand all the hubbub at the time. But I knew Jesus was popular, or at least well-known. The murmurs started the week before Passover. Apparently, Jesus had healed some guy named Lazarus. They say Lazarus was dead, but Jesus simply called his name, and he came out of the grave. Back then, I thought everyone was crazy to even want to believe that. I mean, they say the guy was dead for like four days, and then Jesus just spoke his name. And he came out. Anyway, that was the rumor. And the city was a buzz. They were excited to see this Jesus. When what you know as Palm Sunday, the city went crazy for Jesus. I thought that I needed my troops on high alert just because it was Passover. But when Jesus comes walk marching in on a donkey and everyone was yelling hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord i didn't think that there was a man woman or child who wouldn't follow him to the ends of the earth and if he called to get rid of the roman soldiers which i was one of we would have been vastly outnumbered and some of the soldiers believed that this was going to happen that Jesus would just call out and say, get these guys, and we would be dead. Our soldiers would stand no chance against Jesus if he chose to fight. The city was so stirred up, and to this day, I don't think I've been more aware of my powerlessness than in that Palm Sunday. 
This is the story that I want to tell. The story of Jesus that leads us through his last week and straight to the cross where he was crucified. After the parade that Jesus had gone through, he settled down a little bit and he went into the he went into the temple. The temple was getting busier and busier by the hour in order to allow for everyone to make sacrifices and do all the things that they needed to do. There were these merchants who set up shop and provided animals for those who had traveled great distances. This was a grace to them in a sense so that they could purchase their sacrifice instead of having to bring the sacrifice far from home. The curious thing was that the week before Passover, that week the prices went up and up and up. Me and my fellow soldiers, we used to joke about it as we watched it. Uh, Me and some of the soldiers figured it would have been a lot cheaper to be cleansed from your sins a week or two before Passover. And the closer you got to Passover, the higher the prices. I could get the same animal in a different time for a quarter of the cost that they were during Passover. The merchants seemed to be in cahoots 
They all conspired. Them and the temple keepers and the priests and the religious leaders never said a word about it. It was like they were on the cut, like they were taking some of this money as well. The poor farmers and peasants who had spent a lot of time in their travels and, and left a lot of work that they had to do at home. And, and, and in their travels, they'd be required to make a sacrifice. But they couldn't afford to do that and travel home at the same time. They were in a real bind, religiously speaking. They wanted to atone for their sins of this last year. but They didn't have the means to do that and to get home as well. It was the poor ones who really felt the pain of this price hike most acutely. It seemed to me and my soldiers that it was, you know, a little shrewd and uh, brilliant if you wanted to make a buck. And I knew that the taxes would be gathered on that money and the taxes paid my salary. So I was impartial to it all. But Jesus wasn't. Jesus was having none of it. People followed him and were wanting to talk with him. And, and simply, they were just wanting to watch him to see, was this the Messiah? Was this the one? Was this the guy that the scriptures had talked about it? Again, they had heard the rumors and, and heard of plenty of other miracles that Jesus had done and the going-ons of Jesus. And folks just wanted to see this guy for themselves firsthand. Well, Jesus came into the temple and people saw him. He sees the money changers and the merchants and he loses his mind. No one had ever acted like Jesus acted in the temple. He surprised us all. Jesus came in there saying that this is my father's house. This isn't a den of robbers and thieves. But that's what it was become with all these merchants. Jesus started to flipped the tables and drove the merchants out of their stalls. He was so angry that they were taking advantage of the poor people in Jerusalem who were required to make these sacrifices. I don't remember all of his words, but if this guy was the Messiah, I could see the power and the righteousness in his actions. Me and my fellow soldiers, well, we were certainly on guard, but we kind of thought that this guy was just doing what was just and right. He was actually acting far more holy than the so-called holy men of the city. And in the back of my mind, I thought this is how things should be run. Not just for one person, but for all the people. Not just to build up the religious establishment, but to allow people passageway to Jesus. Allow people a way to come and cleanse their sins, allow people a way just to communicate with their God. And this Jesus had that power. It was deeper than just flipping tables. It was a power I'd never witnessed before. In fact, if you wanted to give your whole heart to God, if you wanted to see what he was about and follow him with all your life, if this was your desire, it seemed like Jesus truly was the way to get closer to God.
One thing that me and my fellow soldiers used to talk about was the seriousness and the hypocrisy of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Now, I have to say that not all of them acted that way, but the majority of them did. They were a pretty entitled bunch. I mean, we were the rulers and they used to think that they were just above us because they worshiped their one true God. These people were used to getting their way in all things and trying to figure out ways to make that happen. The high priest that year, Caiaphas, he was so politically savvy and he was more powerful and cunning than just about any leader I'd ever seen. Now, again, not all religious leaders were like this group and some did act humbly and listen like you would think and a man of God should act man, that group, that particular group that year, they were not humble. They were out of control and didn't seem to be people that I'd want to associate with. And they were mean too and arrogant. And they thought that they were perfect and holy while the rest of the people just stunk. They would go about so that people could see how holy they were, how observant they were, how dedicated to God they were. Many of these religious folks were not uh, religious in the dark. Now, what I mean by that is there were people, you couldn't see them or people around Jerusalem couldn't see them, but they had all sorts of requests from my men and my soldiers that would make you question their devout nature. As outsiders, we couldn't understand how some of these men got into their religious powers to begin with or argumentative, I mean, extremely intelligent. But they were like all head and no heart. They seemed to care about words rather than people. And that's the way I saw them. And I'm a soldier. I didn't much care for them. I thought they were a bunch of frauds. These quote unquote representatives of God didn't make me want to worship that God. And after the entry on Palm Sunday and the flipping over the tables, they were all eyes on Jesus. I mean, we all were. On this day, Jesus seemed to be a, a bit more mellow. He was standing around talking, talking and asking questions. He was an amazing question asker. But it looked like the religious leaders were baiting him. They were using their brains to try and trick him and trap him. They were up to their, uh, what me and my soldiers called word games. They were up to their word games trying to see if Jesus would slip. I could tell. Most of my soldiers, at least the experienced ones, could tell that they were threatened by Jesus. I would even say a bit scared of him. That is just judging on how hard they pressed him and how unrelenting they were in their questions. And many of their questions weren't even sincere. They were just like I said, word games and traps. Jesus is wise. 
I'm pretty sure he was on to the fact that they were playing games. And he was a way better question asker than most of the religious leaders. He would ask them questions that would get them frustrated. And they uh, didn't know how to answer him. And they would just come with a bigger trap than the one that they had just tried to lay. Well, apparently, Jesus had had it. Eventually, all the questions added up and Jesus just kind of went off on them. He called them a brood of vipers. He called them hypocrites. He mocked their fake religion. He asked, why do you clean the outside of your cup when the inside was still dirty? He was going off about how everything was ceremony and for show and it wasn't sincere. But probably worst of all, he told them that they didn't take care of them poor. Instead, they were exploiting the poor people. My soldiers and I had no room to say what Jesus was saying, but we totally agreed with Jesus. Jesus was right, of course. And we were kind of behind our shields going like, yeah, get them, Jesus. Jesus was going after these guys, and you could tell by their faces that they didn't like it. They didn't have any defense for it either. The religious leaders were all moody and broody, kind of used to getting their way, but they were kind of getting their butts kicked by Jesus. And they started to look really foolish in front of the people. They were supposed to be the leaders. And again, Jesus was not supposed to be the Messiah in their mind. And yet, Jesus was spot on. Then he kind of ducked away and we didn't see him after his what I would call arousing speech. The odd thing was, when I listened, I had the feeling that Jesus wasn't really mocking these men. He was reminding them of what they signed up for, reminded of them of who they represented and what is supposed to, what this religion is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to point to God. Jesus was, in a way, inviting them away from their hypocrisy. The humble leaders I could see took this to heart and they listened with open ears and open mind while some leaders, a lot of their leaders, simply hardened their hearts towards Jesus. It's crazy because, I mean, one thing that kind of shows this is the way that Jesus loved the poor and loved children. The elite had no time for children, no time for their childishness, no time for any of that. And yet Jesus... I witnessed him. I saw this with my own eyes. Jesus had children come around. They were asking him questions. He was playing games with them. He embraced children as he would embrace anyone else. He embraced the poor like he would embrace anyone else. And then when we look at the cross to come, something that was striking in the insincerity of the religious leaders and the cross There was only sincerity from Jesus, only love. In all that suffering, Jesus was all about his love for us. And when I look to the cross, I see Jesus' sincerity and his love.
I remember correctly, we didn't see Jesus in the city very much until later on in that week. It's pretty quiet. We did, however, witness one of the disciples of Jesus, who was always kind of palling around with Jesus, kind of always on the outside, but in his inner circle, if you know what I mean. We saw him go visit with the high priest and his friends. Later, I discovered that his name was Judas, and he was trying to be stealthy. I mean, as a soldier, we were trained to detect stealth and people that were trying to be stealthy. We wondered what he was up to. He was actually acting like a spy. We could see that he left with more than he came with in this meeting. And there was an uneasiness about him. This was the only guy that was close to Jesus that I didn't trust. I now know he was betraying Jesus with the religious leaders. He got 30 pieces of silver to find a way to hand Jesus over to these men. This seemed to be the turning point. Things got darker as Passover neared. The hosannas of Palm Sunday seemed to be a distant pass. They seemed to quiet down. And the whole city, in the whole city, there was a shift in mood. It was strange and unsettling as we got closer to the cross.
Passover day came and it's always busy during Passover in Jerusalem. It's just a, a very crazy time. But then when the meal starts, it all starts to settle down and a, a lot of action took place on that day. I'm going to skip this story to the nighttime of that Passover. During the Passover meal, the city was fairly quiet. Everyone was in their respected homes or where their gathering places, taking part of a meal in their own place. I mean, the, again, the day was busy with all the preparations, but around sundown, it started to really calm down. And you could sense that the ceremonies had begun. The city was quiet and reverent. And you could actually feel for the first time in a, in a while that this was actually a holy city. At one point, my guards reported that the spy-looking fellow Judas went to the place of the high priest. And they, were, and they were gathering people. And they were getting more and more riled up. And they were talking about Jesus and where to find him and what they were going to do to him once they caught him. And more and more people gathered so we, of course, we were on alert. After their meal, that group, led by Jesus, went out of the city to a place. It was a garden where Jesus was said to be. And this group was large enough that I dispatched some of my guards to go with them. We were in service of Rome and of the high priest. And he told us that Jesus was claiming to be king over Israel. And we knew in Rome that there was no king but Caesar. If this was true, that Jesus was saying that he was going to be king, then this is not a good thing, and Jesus had to be stopped. When my soldiers went, they said it was as if Jesus knew they were coming. In fact, Jesus didn't run away from them as most people did when a band of people were after them. Jesus walked out to meet, to meet them. He expected it, and there was no fight from Jesus. Although Peter, uh, there was a different story. He cut off the ears of one of the servants of the high priest. And I was told, uh, and I tend to believe it, that Jesus picked up his ear and placed it back on this servant's head and it was good as new and he told Peter to put away his sword and he healed the guy but they continued to arrest Jesus sign was given that Judas was going to kiss Jesus in greeting and that's just a cold way to betray a friend Jesus was taken to the house of the high priest they had a trial planned for him my soldiers who were just observing at this point and standing by and watching, and they saw that they were witnessing, uh, that there were witnesses being coached up on what to say against Jesus, what to accuse him of. But again, Jesus seemed to be willing to go through this process of this trial. He didn't defend himself. He didn't complain or cry. In fact, out of all the people there, he was most at peace with this process. Even though there was pain in his eyes, maybe sorrow in his eyes, there was no fear in his eyes. There was pity, even empathy for those who were beating him and questioning him. Jesus was a man of intention and purpose, not self-serving, but always serving those around him. He cared a great deal for the things of God. And he had taught that when your enemy persecutes you, that you were to turn the other cheek or you were supposed to go an extra mile with that enemy. Well, if it's up to me and my soldiers and we had heard that, we could see that Jesus was living what he preached. After a trial and a few beatings, Jesus was taken to see one of the top Roman officials in that region. He was the only one who could approve a death penalty. His, he was my boss in that region. His name is Pontius Pilate. He was a pretty decent governor as far as governors go. He cared a lot about Caesar and Caesar's will. He tried to do what was just and right for the Roman Empire. Having someone claim to be king would not have been good for the Romans. It certainly wouldn't have been good for Pilate if he didn't squash this. And the Jewish leaders knew this. Pilate questioned Jesus but found no fault in him. Jesus didn't defend himself. 
Jesus was then sent to Herod, who was a leader of the religious uh, of the region under Pilate. And Herod found no fault and sent Jesus back to Pilate. The leaders were so adamant that Jesus was at fault, that Pilate had Jesus beat up and punished. And this led us to the next day. It was interesting because all of this happened in the secrecy of dark. None of it happened in the daylight. All that Jesus said and did was in the light. But those seeking his life, they did it in the dark. Even though Jesus was arrested and he was tried, I couldn't help but think that Jesus' life wasn't taken from him, but he was willing to give it. I'd seen power in that man. I knew he had it, but he left it behind and it was not on display in these moments. He seemed to be willing to die and I didn't understand it at the time. Jesus wasn't taken. He went willingly to the cross.
I don't even know if I can talk about this next day without tears, without regrets. Knowing what I know now, I wish I would have stood up for Jesus. I don't think Jesus would have let me. I think he, need, he knew he needed to do this. This is the day that by noon, Jesus would be dead, hung on a cross. Pilate had offered to let him go, but they said, no, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And then he said, well, what do I do with Jesus? And the whole crowd, the whole crowd, the one that was just chanting Hosanna, 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 was now chanting, crucify him, crucify him. That's what Pilate did. He didn't want to riot on his hands. He had Jesus flogged. He had him beat. He had him whipped. He was made to carry his own cross to Golgotha until he fell and he couldn't carry it anymore. And then someone else helped him carry it. Pilate was savvy as well. He put a sign over the head of Jesus that read, King of the Jews. Religious leaders were not happy about this. They said, hey, he said he was king of the Jews. He didn't, we, we're not claiming him as king. But Pilate ordered it. We put it up. There at the cross, he was nailed between two thieves. Two thieves that were guilty, who admitted they were guilty, who knew they were guilty. With this one man who... I now know had no guilt, only love. He had no bitterness towards those. One of my soldiers that was at the cross, he said, you know, it's weird. This guy said, Father, will you forgive them for they know not what they do? That's the heart of Jesus. They know not what they do. Jesus went to the cross. He knew what he was doing. He knew that they would gamble for his clothes. As soldiers, we were taught to do this because it's just added mockery. The family around would be incensed and it would cause people not to cross the Roman Empire again. You don't want to be shamed like this. You don't want to be mocked like this. I don't know if those guys did it out of pride. Later, they came to me. They were ashamed that they did this. That time of Jesus at the cross was powerful. It was powerful. Around noon, the whole area went dark. It was like a storm out of nowhere. It just came and it just got dark. The veil in the temple, once he breathed his last, was torn from top to bottom. Gone. There was a great earthquake in the city. So much that happened at that one time that I can't explain it. And I thought, how could I have my soldiers take part in this? How could... How could I have my soldiers take part? I mean, look, we were soldiers, but we didn't want to kill innocent men. That wasn't our job. Our job was to defend. And yet here we were, and we all knew it, that we were killing an innocent man. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For a lot of years, those words haunted me. Now I'm so grateful for them. So grateful for them. I'm not the one who na actually nailed Jesus to the cross. I don't know if the nails could have held him there anyway. His love was so powerful that it might just have held him there on his own because he knew what he was doing. He cared greatly for these people. He knew that it was better that one man die 
then all of them die. Jesus was willing. Went to the cross. His blood was poured out for you and for me. I didn't realize it at the time, but I realize it now. And he would do it again. I have no question about that. Through his blood, I've gained so much. And I'm thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. One last thing, and then I'll let you go. 
like I said, not all the Jewish leaders at that time were spoiled eggs or anything like that. Joseph of Arimathea, a fairly wealthy, wealthy religious leader, one that we could see that it was he was humble. He asked for Jesus' body. He was going to lay Jesus' body in his own tomb and had it seal, sealed up. I was the one that had to order some of my men to go stand guard at the tomb. There was a rumor that Jesus' disciples were going to steal his body. And after this long week, I couldn't have any more chaos. The last thing I did, my brain was in a fog. Even though I'm not Jewish, I didn't fully understand all the rituals and customs. I knew something significant had taken place. I felt like I was witnessing history. History was dark. It didn't seem to favor the just. It seemed to destroy and put to death those who cared about the weak and the poor, while the crooks and the hypocrites seemed to maintain their offices. Putting the guards on duty was the last thing I did. I needed to sleep. I needed to figure out what I had just witnessed. Now I dismiss you guys to take a moment of silence to figure out what it is we have witnessed, what it is that we have seen in the cross of Jesus Christ.